When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, here we are on a Tuesday, a day late, in recording the podcast, which normally comes out on Mondays, so we hope everyone will spot us this day due to the holiday weekend. How was your Memorial Day? What'd you do? Chad? I went on a cleaning rampage at my house. Oh, that's, my God. That's how you know a middle-aged dad has entered the chat. <laughs> is Just really got after it, cleaning-wise. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, one of the weekend projects I worked on was getting my garage gym where I want it. And I would like to declare this, Chad, the summer of swole. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. No, you sound ready. You sound, mm-hmm. if anything, like your weekend plans were a success it sounds like you accomplished whatever it was you wanted to get done out there in the gym yeah chad there's there's a fire in my heart and have just being able to go out there to the garage at any time jack some weight it's a game changer absolute game changer i invite you all to join me on this journey to the summer of swole okay well tell us what do you got going on in there what's going on in the garage gym you got a squat rack you got some olympic weight you got the what do you got tell us take us on a tour a virtual tour Got a squat rack. Uh, I got you know Olympic bar, some weights. Got a couple bumper plates. Got a couple. Got some of those adjustable dumbbell kind of things that go up yeah. to fifty pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I got more stuff coming. Got more stuff in the mail. It's funny though. Once you start buying some stuff for your home gym, the internet clues in pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, we got one. And the shit they will try to sell you. You know where I draw a line? Where I draw a firm line that I will not cross is weighted vest. Okay. Every once in a while, the ads will pop up. Hey, don't you need a weighted vest? Some of the shit you've been doing. Don't you think it would be fucking miserable if you had a weighted (laughs) vest? How about that? Here's a weighted vest for you. No way. Get out of here, man. I do not have any use for your weighted vest. Uh, you know what my favorite thing is when the internet algorithm knows you're shopping for something like I recently just, just, you know, summer a swole, I had to go get myself some new swim trunks, right? Because okay, we're, yeah. we're going to be hitting the beach. We're going to be giving everybody the gun show. Everybody's going to be asking where, where's the sand at? And we're going to be flexing being like, it's over there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had to Naturally. get some new swim trunks. Once the internet found out I was looking for swim trunks, it was like, Oh, this motherfucker loves swim trunks. Let's show him a million <laughs> swim trunks every time he opens his Instagram. And I'm like, dude, I already bought some. I don't need to see pages and pages and pages of the different swim trunks that are on offer over there on the Internet. So sometimes the algorithm, it's a little 
It doesn't know that when you've completed your purchase, it still thinks, oh, this dude just wants to see swim trunks. Yeah, see, that is a part where the internet and figuring out what we're doing and how we could be most effectively marketed to, it hasn't caught up on that side of things yet, especially because sometimes if you'll go, you make a big purchase, like I bought a bed frame a couple years ago, and for months afterwards, they were showing me various bed frames, and I'm just yeah. like, how often do you think a person needs to buy a bed frame? <laughs> oh, this it's motherfucker not... loves bed frames. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, we, we got to make that next leap to be like, okay, what might what else might he need? Mm-hmm. What, what can we extrapolate about this person after we know that he bought a bed frame? Yeah. You know? Try to mm-hmm. sell me some sheets or some shit after that. Yeah, sex pillow, right? There, see, this is why we do this podcast. This is why we've been able to maintain this relationship for so long is because you go straight to sex pillow. Sex pillow, maybe some handcuffs. Actually, what else I don't you, have all that shit already. What, what Come else on. are you going to do with your bed? Don't, do yeah. you even know me? I'm not worried about the AI yet. If it's going to be like, oh, Ben Folks needs to buy a hundred different uh, bed frames. <laughs> Call me when you figure that one out, artificial intelligence. Yeah, take that. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper, guys. It is the last week of Pledge Month, the Pledge Month that has been celebrating our 11th anniversary of making this show pretty much all throughout May. We hope that you enjoyed the sneak preview of our Patreon content that we rolled out earlier this month. If you did, we would like to invite you to consider supporting the show by joining the team over at patreon.com slash co-main event. We've got absolute loads of extra audio and video content over there, as well as access to the CME's official Discord message board where the people, the good people of the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon are constantly over there chatting it up about MMA, about other stuff, 24 hours a day, that thing's rolling. And the only rule is no assholes. Mm -hmm. Uh, The truth is, you guys, we can only keep making the show with the support of listeners like you we don't have corporate backing we don't have one of these platforms one of these mma websites uh giving us money and putting putting us on this is all us it's that's all we got are each other a little bit of gear and the wherewithal to keep making this show so consider giving to the show consider joining the patreon uh this is your last week to jump in to jump in to get 10 percent off of the Patreon subscription and the last week to take advantage of the free t-shirt if you join at the $10 or $20 level and sign up for an annual subscription. If you do that, shoot me an email, tell me what shirt you want, and we'll get it in the mail to you. It's a pretty good deal, I think. And of course, last weekend, or last week, excuse me, we rolled out the special deal for our international subscribers where uh, we'll give you a discount code that'll save you a bunch of money off your purchase. You still have to pay the shipping but we hope that uh, it's a good enough deal for our international people to enjoy. This is the last week of Pledge Month. As I said, consider coming over to patreon.com slash co-main event and joining up over there, but you don't have to take my word for it. Here's our guy, Nobby Buckles, one of the administrators over at the Co-Main Event Podcast Discord message board. Our guy, Dave, we love him. Here he is to tell you guys why the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon is such a great deal. What's up, everyone? This is Dave, a.k.a. Nobby Buckles, coming to you outside Tampa, Florida, here to talk to you about the co-main event podcast, Patreon. 
Do you ever wonder what Ben and Chad are saying between rounds? Ever struggle to hear what they're bantering about during the outro? You can get a peek behind the curtain and watch actual honest-to-goodness video of the guys recording the podcast if you check out patreon.com slash co-main-event. It's hands down, pound for pound, dollar for dollar, the best way to keep up with Ben, Chad, and all the little co-maniacs around the world. Not only do you get hashtag wild on Wednesdays during the live chat, the incredibly named but not to be trifled with co-main event podcast Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings each Friday, not only do you get to do the damn thing every Thursday if you're a real shit-eating wild person, you get access to the best-kept secret on the internet, the official CME Discord. It's the best place on the internet to talk combat sports and other things. Books, music, pets, other sports, help with stuff, you name it. We got a fantasy football league, we got a book club, and even the occasional fight night watch parties where you can pop open a beverage, hop on the mic, and hang out with the coolest people on the internet. Come on over, drop a few bucks in Ben and Chad's hands, and hang out with us. We'd love to have you. We've got music this week from longtime listener and friend of the show, Ross Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on this episode, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M Ross. I believe that stands, Ben, for Stockholm. I believe it is Stockholm Ross, where our guy Ross Jossborg, Ross Jossborg is from. Stockholm Ross. Stockholm Ross. Ross Jarborg, excuse me. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Connor McGregor is back. And by back, we mean back in the USADA testing pool. Or at least he will be at some point soon. But he's also already back to gobbling up a lot of oxygen in the room. Even though he hasn't totally done anything yet. And in round number two, Justin Gaethje says what we're all thinking. The BMF belt is stupid. But... It might earn him a little bit of extra money, so he's down. And in round number three, the UFC is back on ESPN this weekend with a men's flyweight showdown between Kai Kara France and Amir Albazi. Yep, the UFC is back on ESPN this weekend with a men's flyweight showdown between Kai Kara France and Amir Albazi. I can hear the enthusiasm, the excitement in your voice. This is one you've had circled on the calendar for a long time. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. You know, we've been preaching, preach. I can't talk this week, man. It's just this long weekend that I had traveling with the family. Just can't get the words out. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. We've been preaching the virtues of NordVPN to you guys for a long time now. Ben and I both have it installed on all of our devices. It's hassle-free and it works great. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay at home virtually. That's what I did over the weekend. Stay safe from malware and threat protection with threat protection. Ben, I know you love some NordVPN. What's your favorite part of using it? 
Jed, you know that I love how it just clicks right on when you're on various public Wi-Fi's. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, taking your family on a road trip, maybe stopping at a restaurant, get a bite to eat. Doesn't matter if you're then going on down the road and poking your head in at the hundred thousand silver dollar bar and grill, maybe buy a pair of nunchucks. Doesn't matter if you're then at the hotel where you can all take advantage of the indoor hotel pool. NordVPN has you covered so that uh, if you're, you know, looking for a private moment to look up your your favorite some of your favorite adult oriented websites, NordVPN has got you protected. Wow. You know what I'm saying. It's like you were on the trip with us. Mm -hmm. It's like you Mm -hmm. were there. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. With the Nord Locker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. Oh, and by the way, if you want to get four free months of NordVPN right now, you can if you use the sign-up link exclusively for listeners of the CME. Every purchase of a two-year plan will receive four bonus months when you go to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain when you sign up. This includes all the plans we always tell you about. They got the standard plan, the plus plan, and then the big dog, the complete plan. It's all risk-free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee get your exclusive nordvpn deal by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy david hassan now this one ben i was so excited about this one i tweeted about it last week but we wanted to give it some shine here on the the actual podcast the subject line just says the answer and the email says is not the answer to how to handle Francis Ngannou's situation to create a four-man tournament where the tournament winner gets Francis? Build interest. Opponent has earned it. Come on, the current PFL champ, Rothwell, JDS, whoever. The point being, that person will have earned it and interest will be built. I got to tell you, I think this is the answer. I think the subject line was spot on here from David Hassan. Ben, I think since you got this time to kill while Francis Ngannou is going out there, he's going to try to continue to chase a big money boxing fight. We're all sitting around wondering, A, who's he going to fight in the PFL? B, how many pay-per-views are they going to sell doing that? And C, how are you going to build interest? I feel like David Hassan rolled up here with a grand slam, my guy. Four guy heavyweight tournament winner gets Francis and the 2 million bucks guaranteed to the opponent. I'll tell you what people in mixed martial arts have done a lot worse for less than 2 million bucks. Yeah. I don't, I don't dislike this idea at all. It has a lot going for it. Again, it, it, the PFL's whole thing, like we said before, is the way the process of the season gives you this sense of legitimacy and importance and imbues it with more than if you just had just some randos fighting in an organization that's not the UFC, which is what most of the bitch-ass casuals out there are going to see it for. And so you do the same thing. We're, we're trying to find a guy to fight Francis Ngannou. How do we make it so that it doesn't just feel like we just plucked some guy out and put him in there and fed him to Francis Ngannou? Even the the smallest kind of tournament you could do, really, a four-man tournament, that would be great. Here's the one flaw I see in this. Yeah. You're talking about a four-man tournament of heavyweights. Yeah. And a lot of these guys going to be heavyweights of a certain age, probably, just based on 
who's already their names are already out there, who's available, that kind of stuff. So what are the odds you have yourself a four-man heavyweight tournament only to then have a series of broken bodies that are not able to compete at a reasonable time frame at the end of it all? That's yeah. the one weakness, I think. Yeah, well, I think that is a great weakness, and I think there's another caveat as well, and that is sometimes if you end up getting the other kind of heavyweight fight as part of your four-man tournament, perhaps this thing does the opposite of stoke interest in whoever ultimately gets to fight Francis Ngano. Perhaps we come away from this thing thinking, well, all those guys look shitty. I don't know if I'm going to plop down any money to watch them fight the predator in the PFL pay-per-view. But I still think if you're the PFL, you got to take the chance because this in a best case scenario solves a bunch of your problems, several of your problems that you might be facing while you're looking to get an appropriate opponent for Francis Ngannou. Uh, and it also lets you kind of pick, not only pick and choose who's going to be in the running, but that you kind of take like the most fitting, most deserving guy. And I think you that's an easy sell for MMA fans. We all love a tournament. The PFL knows that. Scotty Coker knows that over in Bellator. We all love a tournament. We all get excited for a tournament. And this is a, a good way to do it, I think. Now, the other caveat is that I feel like you would have to Make sure that your messaging from the PFL makes it absolutely clear that people understand that this isn't isn't just the season tournament, that you're going to have maybe a heavyweight tournament going on in the season and that guy wins some money and who knows what happens, but that this tournament is like the championship league. This is the four-man tournament to decide who faces Francis Ngannou for the vacant heavyweight title in PFL. And, and if you can do all those things, and you need a little luck, obviously, every time, any time you're dealing with the heavyweights. But uh, I think the, I, I, I don't hate this idea at all, man. I think this is exactly what the PFL should be trying to do. Yeah, and I think that you already have kind of a natural setup because because of Francis Ngannou's stipulation that whoever he fights makes a minimum of $2 million. Already, we're looking at it as kind of a sweepstakes for his opponent, right? Yeah, the, yeah. If you're some other heavyweight outside the UFC you're not a, a big time pay-per-view draw getting pay-per-view points in the UFC or something where else are you gonna make two million dollars in one MMA fight than fighting Francis Ngannou so we're already kind of looking at it as who will get the call who will be selected to not only have a chance to beat this guy who sort of is on top of the heavyweight world right now but also to make that two million dollars and so why not lean into the way we are already thinking of it and be like, we're going to have a competition to see who gets that, who gets that guaranteed two mil, even if he does a bad job. <laughs> Next question this week comes to us from John Merva. Given the current situation with all Joe and Dana trading barbs and Dana even going so far as to threaten him with an interim belt combined with the clear and obvious hatred he has for Sterling. Isn't there an argument now that Aljo should be quietly having conversations with PFL? They're clearly ready to throw some money around, and frankly, what's left for him in the UFC? He's dealt with pretty much all challengers, and I'm not convinced that Sean O'Malley really is the fighter to dethrone him anyway. He also won't fight Dvalishvili. I'm not saying he's cleaned out the division, but if you look at the top 10, there's a fair few fighters he's already beaten, and he's already hinted at moving up. Dana clearly doesn't think much of the PFL based on his latest comments, and there's been some back and forth there. It would be a great scoop for the PFL to snap up not one, but two existing UFC champions. It would look great for their marketing and allow them to set up another tournament for a shot at him. Then parenthetically, he says, I really like the other listeners idea of a tournament to see who gets the first crack at Francis. So 
That's just synergy right there. John Merva loving David Hassan's idea for the tournament. He must have seen it when I put it over on Twitter last week. He goes on. I do get he maybe doesn't quite have the name and leverage that Francis has, but there seems to be a path, and really, could you blame him? It can't be easy turning up for work in a place which would really rather you just went away. Your thoughts? You know, I get the thinking here. I get the the logic behind it. But I also just think that it's not going to be as rosy a picture for Aljamain Sterling trying to take his talents to the open market as it is for Francis Ngannou for a variety of reasons, weight class being a big one of them. But I also just think, like, if you're Aljamain Sterling, I feel like you kind of have two feasible choices here for how to go about your continued life in the UFC. Either back off from this feud with the boss that we've seen so many fighters have, so many champions have, and it rarely seems to do anything too great for them. And you know Dana White's always going to be willing to have it. As long as people are going to ask him about it in post-fight press conferences, he's going to continue to talk shit on you, uh, which is a weird way for the fight promoter to go about handling yet another one of his champions, but okay. So you can either just be like, all right, this is sort of a dead end for me, so I'm just not going to talk about it anymore and focus on winning the fights, making the money that I can make while I'm champion, and not getting sucked into this. The other choice is to go hard in the opposite direction and be like, all right, you want me to be the bad guy champion who's feuding with the boss? You want to be stone cold to your Vince McMahon? I'll do that. And use that to try, but like really turn up the volume on it. And instead of doing this thing of like, why why do I get no respect Rodney Dangerfield style? Just lean all the way in as the guy the UFC wants to get rid of. The UFC wishes they could get somebody in here to take my belt and they can't. And be like, you know, Saturday night. Get get your seats, get your pay-per-view buys on, make sure you're there to see the latest attempt of the UFC to get this belt off around my waist, and they won't be able to do it. You could make something out of that if you're willing to, to go all the way with it. Yeah. I think those are the two best options you have, because to, to instead be like, let me start looking for the door. Uh, I don't know if you're Aljamain Sterling, if that's such a great idea. Well, I'm going to start sounding like a broken record here, but I think that Everybody should test the free agent market when they can, when they can get out of their contract and see what's out there for them. Not everybody, as I've said before, is going to be able to get a Francis Ngannou deal. Perhaps no one besides Francis Ngannou is going to be able to get a Francis Ngannou deal. But if I was a fighter, I would want to know what the deal is. I would want to know what I could get offered. I wanted to, I would want to know how much I could make somewhere else or if that would drive up the price with the UFC, et cetera, et cetera. And clearly Aljamain Sterling is one of those people who could could try to do that and might actually command some kind of price for the PFL because I agree uh, with John here that he probably would be a nice piece for them to have and it would be something of a coup for them to roll up in here and get another UFC champion. I feel like the real potential flaw in this idea is what is going on with Aljamain Sterling's contract. And I can't yeah. sit here and tell you how many fights he has left and and when he signed a new one when he got extended etc cetera, etc cetera. we know that the ufc likes to to sneak in and make a uh an extension a caveat a necessary thing that you have to sign in order to get these big fights and whether or not they wanted him to sign one before the henry cejudo fight or not i don't have in front of me at the moment so you would have to if you were all jermaine sterling i guess think about how many fights you had left on your contract when you would become a free agent and do we have a current 
fact check on what's going on with the champions clause. Is the champions clause a thing now when the UFC went back in and quietly re-added some of these stipulations that they had originally taken out because of the class action lawsuit? Do we know what's going on with the champions clause? I mean, I think that it would depend when you signed your contract, right? Because it seemed like they put the sort of sunset provision in there in response to when they were dealing with the antitrust lawsuit. Francis Ngannou was one of the people that kind of came along during that window of time, but then took it back out again and, in fact, tightened up the contracts in some other ways. I don't know. Also, with Aljamain Sterling's, like, when the last time he signed any form of UFC contract was. So, you're right that the big question, even just before you get into a conversation about what options you have to consider, is what contract are you under? Because it does seem like a lot of people are going to be, people are going to be looking at them like, hey, why don't you do some Francis Ngannou shit? And they're going to be like, because I don't have a Francis Ngannou contract. That was a limited space of time where people were able to do that. And the UFC went right in there and fixed that. <laughs> like they did not seem to love how it went. So I, I think that a lot of would depend on just what you're contractually able to do. Because if you're looking at a situation where you're like, man, I won't be clear for five fights, then shit, you might as well make the best of it while you're yeah. there. Cause th- at that point, there's no sense in looking that, that far down the road or just trying to rush through to get to free agency. Yeah, no, I agree. So we're in a situation where we don't even know if UFC champions could test free agency right now because we're not sure about what's going on with the contracts. Next question this week comes to us from our guy Josh Montgomery on Patreon. He writes, fellas, on June 3rd, Jim Miller and Andre Arlovsky are set to separately do the damn thing. Currently, they sit number one and number two in both UFC Octagon appearances and UFC wins. Andre cannot catch Jim in appearances, but he can tie him if he wins and Jim loses. Do you think it will ever be possible for either of these records to be touched in the future? Is this like Cal Ripken's Iron Man record that is just etched in stone? Also, Charles Oliveira leads the league handily in submissions with 16. That's another one I have a hard time seeing ever get caught. Uh... He also goes on to point out that uh, we're doing this one down at the apex for this UFC on ESPN show, and it's going to feel a little underwhelming to have both Jim Miller uh, and Andre Arlovsky on this card in such a, a an intimate, let's say, environment where you're not really going to have any fans. And so these record-breaking moments sometimes in the UFC feel a little underwhelming because we're not making a big deal out of them. Uh, Jim Miller and Andre Arlovsky obviously both have incredible longevity in the UFC. I don't know whether or not those records stand to be broken anytime soon. It, it's, it's, you're kind of asking to get a crystal ball out and look into the future to try to project how long people will be sticking around in the future. I, it's part of me wants to speculate that we have kind of seen the last of these sort of blood and guts guys, these these like lifers who are going to come in for years and years and stay for 20 fights like Jim Miller, like Andre Arlovsky, that maybe we're going to get into more of a get in, get your money and get out kind of situation with a lot of these guys. But I don't know. Never say never. You could definitely have a long-term, uh, long-tenured person make a run at, at these at these records, I think. Yeah, I think also a lot would depend on just how you want to think about 
how different it might look for somebody else to chase this record in a different era of the UFC. Because, you know, when Jim Miller came in and had his first fight in the UFC, UFC 89, by the way, uh, October of 2008, he had already had 12 pro fights, had fought in ring of combat the, on the Jersey scene, had fought uh, in the IFL, and was, a, you know, kind of an established pro at that point, and then came in there and then had this incredible career, which... Also, pause for a moment and give Jim Miller his due respect for getting to that kind of a point where he is up there in terms of just record-breaking UFC appearances, despite the fact that for several years there he was fighting with undiagnosed Lyme disease. Like, he was just barely able to complete a workout and was still fighting like two or three times a year. Was was feeling bad about himself because on years where he could only fight like two or three times. Yeah. Because of his Lyme disease, which they didn't even know what that's what was causing all these terrible symptoms for him at the time. So kind of incredible for that guy to still be around and still to, to have reached that point. But I do think if somebody does end up chasing after some of these records, it will just look a lot different. It'll probably be somebody who came in a couple fights into their career off the contender series or something and then just stayed. And maybe they won't reach that same level of success or really just like ongoing longevity and consistency. Maybe they won't have to reach that level in order to get close to the record just because they will get into the UFC so much earlier because there's way less vibrant of a regional scene these days. The UFC gets their hooks and fighters way sooner and that they just might look around and be like, there's nowhere else really to go. And so they end up being pretty good, maybe not great, but they could still have a whole bunch of UFC fights just because their entire careers will take place in the UFC. Last question this week comes to us from Deranged Dan, who writes, not sure if you guys mentioned this a couple weeks back when talking about Jailton Almeida's win over the Biggie Boy, but after it was over, Jailton got on the mic and called for a fight with Ty Tuivasa. Hashtag would watch or hashtag too sad to watch. You know what that is? That's... That's a savvy gentleman right there. <laughs> I think he's taking a, a look around the heavyweight pecking order mm-hmm. and seeing a popular guy that everyone likes to fight who also may fit neatly into your particular skill set, like might be a yeah. good matchup for you. Just be like looking around like, let's see, is there a popular fan favorite uh, just slugging knockout specialist who once planted on his back is in a world of trouble? Because I just dispatched one of those. And if I could get me another one as I climb up the ranks, while I never have to do more than like two and a half minutes work, and it's all in my preferred area of the game, then you know what? Yeah, I think that sounds like a pretty good idea for me. Like, shit, yeah, man. Like, that is that is smart. I, I, I can't hate on that. That's just a, a good, savvy business plan on Jailton Almeida's part. Well, Ben, if Jailton Almeida is going to have both the brawn and the brains, I'm starting to get kind of scared. I'm starting to get kind of scared of what he might be capable of. Yeah, I mean, just I. This is why we were always saying that. Only as much as people love it to be like, hey, don't get up there on the mic and be like, I'll fight whoever the UFC wants. I'll you know have a name in mind, something to kind of give you give us something to talk about going forward with you. But not only is it that you just give us, you, you feed the, the, the headlines a little bit, but you also have a chance to, to choose your path a little bit. Yeah. And if you know I can do this thing, I look around and I see who can't do that thing. 
I look around and see who has the biggest name that I haven't fought yet who can't do the thing that I do. Okay, how about that guy? Like, give yourself a chance to, like, sculpt a easier or at least better path up the ranks. Like, that's that's one of the big reasons why you should be going out there and calling somebody out. Not just because we love a feud or we love to hear people shit talk each other. Just... For your own sake, for your own, like, do a little bit of self-matchmaking. You know the matchmakers are overworked as it is. Make it easy on them. Oh, that's what I was going to say. The matchmaking is so fast and furious now that it does seem like there's a lot of times when the matchmakers are like, well, these guys said they wanted to fight, so that makes it easy for us. We'll just put them together, and then we'll move on to the next thing. So, yeah, I agree. It's smart to be able to uh, mark your own course a little bit here and where you where you are and where you want to get to. Uh, I guess with Tai Tuivasa, it could very well depend on what, what time of day you call him. To see if he wants to fight Jailton Almeida, you call him, uh, you know, after closing time on a mm-hmm. Saturday night, he might agree to it and then just, uh, you know, not remember the next day. Yeah, that's what you should do is watch Tai Tuivasa's socials. <laughs> when when he has one of those nights where suddenly it's like uh, he posted seven Instagram stories in the last hour and a half and uh he's not wearing a shirt for the last couple as they're he and the boys are getting kicked out of one bar and headed to another. You'd be like, okay, I'm gonna wait 30 more minutes and then I'm going to call him. Yeah. That's, that's the best time to do it. That is going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you all know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says, email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us right now we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one Well, Ben, after his lengthy absence, if not from the crime headlines, from the MMA headlines, Conor McGregor is kind of back with a vengeance. We know that he is filming or perhaps just completed filming the ultimate fighter opposite Michael Chandler. We are led to believe that those two guys are going to fight sometime before the end of the year. This past weekend, Dana White told us he is, quote, filling out the paperwork in order to get back into the USADA pool, which how long could that take? How long could it take to fill out the paperwork? Conor McGregor's got, I think he's got a guy for that. I think there's probably a guy who normally fills out whatever Conor McGregor's paperwork generally is. So I would think we could get this paperwork filled out and turned in relatively quickly. I also can't help but notice you're kind of cutting it close if you want to be in the pool for six months and still fight by the end of the year. You don't think that maybe the holdup is that we're waiting for Conor McGregor to, he's first of all, he got to get to a fax machine. You got to find a printer. You know, they, they emailed him the attachment. He's kind of printed out. And it's just like, you know, who has a printer anymore? Yeah. He's been asking around. And then once you do get it printed out, it's been sitting on his kitchen table for like two weeks. He's meaning to get to it. He really is. Um, but we're, we're just waiting on him to f- fill out the social security number, whatever, get, get, get all the paperwork in there and then send it back. And we're going any day now, any yeah. day, we're going to add that stuff from Conor McGregor. You know how it is. It just gets away from you sometimes. You know what it probably um, is. He, he probably has to download an app 
It's probably mm-hmm. like, oh shit, I gotta download the Documents Are Up app to fill out the UFC USADA pool. They don't download another fucking app, dude. And it's just, yeah. you know how it is. You start putting it off and then it just your phone's full. You, you gotta delete one app just to get another one. And yeah, it's it's a mess. So I understand that. It also I feel like anytime we start talking about Conor McGregor gotta get back in the USADA testing pool so that he can fight for the UFC. I, there's a little bit of a, a spidey sense I get that <laughs> what if none of that stuff happened on time or the way it was supposed to. Do, I mean, if the UFC had a date in like Madison Square Garden or something that you want to get somebody like Conor McGregor onto and you saw it as like, mm, we're three weeks short. I feel like that's wave a magic wand territory. And we go ahead and we make that fight. The, the whole thing of Conor McGregor getting back in the USADA testing pool seems a little bit like we're here. We are following the letter of the law for now. Yeah. And as, as long as it doesn't interfere with the money, because the man basically told us that he had got out of the testing pool so that he could get on that good, good for the purposes of recovery and recuperation after suffering a nasty leg break which a whole lot of fighters looked around and went, can you do that? Because maybe I would like to do that at some point <laughs> in the future. Um, and we also see the guy, it's not exactly living like a monk as he prepares to make his comeback against Michael Chandler. It seems like anytime you see a clip of the guy out in public, he's having a good time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Are you telling me you don't think there's like a UFC ombudsman? who is going to be looking over <laughs> Dana White's shoulder and being like, oh, it's actually only been five months and 30 days. I don't think we can uh, don't think we can put Connor in the main event there. We've got to stick to the letter of the law that we made up and purposefully designed so that we could change it anytime we want to. Well, see, now I know what has to be the plot line of this uh, Adam Sandler works for the UFC comedy. He has to take a job as UFC ombudsman. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I am not even necessarily against an aging fighter being able to get on some PEDs in order to come back from a devastating injury. That could be a loophole where maybe it's something that we should talk about. On the other hand, Conor McGregor did come back from his quote unquote retirement looking like a goddamn He-Man action figure. So that is just something for us to think about. But it is funny. That we are even having this conversation, like in public, in the UFC, kind of leaving the quiet part unsaid, just being like, "Oh yeah, you know, Connor had this this terrible injury, and then he uh, he got out of the pool, and now he's got to get back in the pool." The whole idea of a guy having to get back in the pool when he wasn't necessarily officially retired is kind of interesting to me. It's it harkens back to the interview that years ago now where Joe Rogan was lamenting how long it would take George St. Pierre to move up from welterweight to middleweight. And one of the things he said was, oh, he would insist on doing it naturally. So it would take (laughs) a lot more time. And I was just like, doing it naturally as opposed to what exactly? So here we are. We're all just going to ignore it, right? That Conor McGregor did this thing. Well, yeah, we probably are, and uh, he's already shown an ability to get away with a whole lot of stuff that other people couldn't get away with, Um, uh, you know, throwing dollies at bus windows, for one thing. Uh, I do still wonder, though, and 
in a lot of ways, I feel like a Michael Chandler fight is going to be a great test for it, is to just find out, like, who, where even does Conor McGregor still fit in yeah. the MMA game? Yeah. Because clearly, we are starving for the star power of a Conor McGregor to come into this sport right now, because we're really missing it. We don't have a ton of that going on. We have a lot of just some fight stuff happening. Francis Ngannou has bounced up out of the UFC. Uh, John Jones will show back up after three years, win one fight in you know 90 seconds, and then peace back out again to start talking about retirement. We just don't have a whole lot of lightning rod type figures that we can get really excited about and that people love to put in the headlines because they know it's some guaranteed clicks and you can tell how hungry we are for it by the fact that anything conor mcgregor says or does is news these days yeah and we like mma is just it's fight sports always going to be to some extent a star driven business an individual driven business and we we're really missing having somebody like that around and yet everything we've seen from him in the past few fights have suggested that the the peak of his powers has already passed just athletically as a fighter. When you see him out here, you know, gallivanting with his proper 12 and whatnot in, in Monaco or whatever, you just, you, you, you get a, a real sleeping on the silk sheets vibe. <laughs> you know, you, you get the, the velvet slippers falling down the stairs vibe, not the wooden shoes going up vibe these days. And so you're like, uh, how many more of these are we going to get out of him? You yeah. know, is yeah. if he comes back and he can't be somebody like Michael Chandler, do we then go like, well, okay. It was, it was a fun time while it lasted. And now we're sort of just like waiting around to see how many, what the decline will look like. Yeah, and if you need evidence of how badly we missed or wanted to have a figure like Conor McGregor back, you need only look around at any of the MMA websites where there's it's just story after story of like Conor McGregor went to a BKFC event and got in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mike Perry's face or oh Conor McGregor is, uh, you know, he brought his whiskey to the to the press day or oh here's. Uh, Conor McGregor's filming the ultimate fighter and uh, he and Chandler kind of respect each other and kind of don't. And now everybody's making their picks for Chandler versus McGregor. And it's just like, it's boom times for MMA headline writers. And this week, (laughs) Ben folks, this week over just over the last couple of days, it was Matt Brown's turn. Not one, but two separate stories about Matt Brown talking about Conor McGregor, one of them over on MMA Fighting, the other one over on MMA Junkie. This is two different Matt Brown appearances where he says slightly different things about Conor McGregor, and then we get two slightly different but also very similar stories about what Matt Brown had to say about Conor McGregor. Now, here is uh, here is the MMA fighting headline. It says, Matt Brown, colon, Conor McGregor was a great fucking fighter, but, quote, I just don't think he's a top five guy anymore. Now you juxtapose that with the MMA junkie headline that says, Matt Brown respects Conor McGregor's past accomplishments, but, quote, at this point, he's a bum. So... One of those is a little bit more complimentary than the other. And like I said, they were both from different appearances. This one from the MMA Junkie story is him on Michael Bisping's YouTube channel where he says, he's a nobody in my opinion. He was amazing. I give him props for all that he did. But at this point, he's a bum. Then he goes on to say, you can headline that. 
<laughs> That's going to make it tough to walk back later, you yeah. know? And they It'd be did. like I was taken out of context. Connor, I think he's lost four of his last five. He hasn't fucking done nothing. Everything you see, it's him drinking and getting coked up or he's juiced out of his mind. That's fucking bum life to me. All that money don't make you not a bum. You're still a bum to me, bro. When you step in the cage, you're still a bum to me. Now, all of this, I think, sort of culminated in Matt Brown insinuating that perhaps he should have a fight with the bum Connor McGregor. Uh, but you get the picture. And then over here on MMA fighting, he's a little bit more complimentary. He says, uh, in his prime, I would pick him to beat Michael Chandler. I'm not sure Connor is actually in his prime anymore. I think he's going to want to be, I think he's going to want to be out of there. He wants his name in the news. He's addicted to that people loving him and the ego. And I think he likes getting in there and fighting, but whether he wins or loses, I don't see him in the top five ever again, personally. Uh, Okay, now there's a difference between those statements, though. Yeah, I don't don't see him in the top five again personally. Like honestly, that's a legitimate point to make, especially if we were just doing rankings just based on fights that you have won recently. Uh, Conor McGregor as a top five lightweight, especially in that division where you look at what everybody else has been up to lately. Yeah, I don't. There's no case that you can make for it really right now, and you're gonna have to go in there and beat some good-ass dudes in order to do that. And if you're saying, like, I don't think he has it in him to beat those dudes at this point with, you know, either his age, his approach to the game, maybe some of the other stuff he's put his body through, whatever, I think that's a very viable point to make. Bum might be stretching it. <laughs> because, <laughs> I, you know, like, they, we've seen some bum-ass fighters, and but, like, Conor McGregor is still going to beat some bums if you put yeah. him in there with some of those guys. Yeah. And the truth is, underneath all this, like, noise and smoke and us all scrambling around trying to write as many Conor McGregor headlines every day as we possibly can, the Michael Chandler fight is actually kind of an interesting matchup because I kind of agree that if you took them both stylistically and they were both at the top of their games, that Conor McGregor would have a good chance of beating Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler's striking defense is not great. And we know that early in fights, Conor McGregor can be dangerous with the left hand. If he can get to your chin with it. And if both guys are hundred percent, I think that there's going to be a good opportunity for Conor McGregor to do that. But on the other side of things, Michael Chandler got that dog in him. Ben mm -hmm. folks, he's going to come hard. He's going to go hard at you the whole time. And he's going to be in great shape. And he's just going to let it go. He's going to be an absolute maniac out there in the cage. This is what we know about Michael Chandler. And the real question is, does Conor McGregor still have the stuff to hang with that? And that, to me, is a fairly comp compelling question, even if that's not going to be the story that the UFC tries to sell us around this fight. Yeah, that's fair. So we'll find out, I guess, if indeed they actually do have this fight at any point this year or next or whenever. If they don't, we'll just keep writing headlines. Conor McGregor seen out at dinner. He seems like he's having a good time. <laughs> All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, we talked about one approach that the uh, MMA websites have especially when there's a week off of no UFC is to let's see if we can get Conor McGregor's name in some headlines. But man, this week, I'm telling you, you take a week where you just don't have that usual 
news hole plug of a UFC fight night event or any kind of UFC event. And the, the websites immediately have to go scrambling. And it's it's listicle time for mm-hmm. a lot of people, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, I'm looking out here right now at uh, ESPN ranking the tough coaches fights. Mm-hmm. Which fight was number one? Now, that's classic ain't shit going on. MMA media content. Yeah, that's I'm look- uh, people trying to take Memorial Day off is what that yeah. is. They're like trying me, to write one up ahead write of this time. list on Thursday. So then Monday I can be off with my family and have a barbecue. Now, here's one from MMA Junkie. Daniel Cormier's top three UFC fights of 2023. Now, see, this is Cormier doing that kind of content on his YouTube channel. <laughs> and then MMA Junkie came along writing a thing about Cormier's content on his YouTube channel. That's gonna, you know, ain't shit going on. We gotta do something. Uh, and then I'm gonna look over here at MMA fighting with this headline: MMA fighters honor fallen soldiers on Memorial Day. This one, of course, the byline MMA fighting newswire. Always love his stuff. Um, and it's just links to a bunch of people's Memorial Day posts on Twitter. You fucking kidding me? One weekend. <laughs> one weekend is all it takes. For everybody to just be like, oh, God, we got to come up with something. We want to take Memorial Day off, too. What can we write? Oh, man. We're so used to just being there. A UFC event every single week. And you take one Saturday night off and the house of cards comes toppling down. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Now, see, what I like is Cormier does the list and then MMA Junkie writes the story about the list. And now here we are. Talking about the story that MMA Junkie wrote about the list that Daniel Cormier compiled. Now, if we could only get someone to talk about our conversation about the MMA Junkie story about Daniel Cormier's list of the top three fights of the first half of 2023, uh, then we would be in business. And the snake eats its own tail. And the snake eats its own tail, indeed. Uh, Ben... BJ Penn has not been in the news for a lot of good reasons lately. Oh boy. It's pretty time pretty much every time you see uh BJ Penn's name in the news, it's something bad. I am looking at the bloody elbow story by Milan Ordonez uh over there at be.com. Now, here is BJ Penn on his own Instagram page. I don't know what the original post was, but someone named Lucky Dub Lukey Dub, excuse me, comes in and replies, CTE kicking in hard lately. Now, first of all, this seems to be a popular reply to the fighter slash ex-fighter social media post that you don't agree with. And I would like to say, please stop doing it. Please Mm -hmm. stop insinuating that fighters and ex-fighters who might post a crazy thing on social media or just have an opinion that you don't like, please stop replying to say this person has CTE. It is not a good look. But Yeah, and by the way, those of us who've been following this sport for a long time know pro fighters don't need to have any sort of brain damage to occasionally post some stupid stuff online. They've been doing that forever. Absolutely forever. That's true. Go on. Uh, but here's the, here comes the, but in here, BJ Penn then replies to Lukey dub says at Lukey dub. He says, what is CTE again? Did Ali have that? What about Jim Brown? Did he have that CTE is as fake as the coronavirus? Oh boy. 
crying laughing emoji. Are you fucking kidding me? So it's as fake as the thing that has killed millions of people to date. Yeah. Crying. Upended the world. Laughing emoji. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me, BJ? You fucking kidding me? Um, Also, does... Is he he familiar with uh, Muhammad Ali's life, especially the latter part of it? Because it kind of seems like he had some some struggles. Had some struggles. The man had some well-documented struggles. Yep. That seemed at least somewhat connected to staying in the ring for too long. CTE is as fake as the coronavirus. Crying, laughing emoji. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's going to go for round number one. We'll be right back. It's round number two. Well, Chad, your boy Justin Gaethje gonna give you a little behind the scenes about how he came to be booked in this BMF title fight in a rematch with Dustin Poirier. I'm reading this from the Bloody Elbow story over there by Milan Ordonez. He says, quote, The UFC called me and said, Do you want to fight Poirier on July 29th? Five rounds. And I was like, fuck that. I don't want to fight for five <laughs> rounds if I don't have to. <laughs> so we're, we're off to a great start, honestly. Yeah. Like, we're just like, hell yeah, we're having fun. You have my attention, Justin Gaethje. There's no reason for me. I get paid the same no matter what. So I'd rather fight three rounds, and I'd rather fight in Boston, meaning at UFC 292, on August 19th. It gives me three more weeks to get ready, but I was totally in on, you get 25K extra for the main event. So I was like, screw that. Um, then, he says, they came back. He says, so they came back, and they were like, what about for this BMF belt? We came to terms on payments and what I'd be comfortable making. He goes on to say uh, about the BMF belt itself. Honestly, my true assessment, like when Masvidal and Diaz fought for it, I was like, this is stupid. And I still think it's kind of stupid. However, to the fans that say it's stupid, I say that it's ultimately the UFC giving one more fighter one more opportunity to win and to gain an opportunity to get pay-per-view points. This belt, just like interim belts, on paper are championships. You are a champion in the eyes of the UFC. And when you're a champion in the eyes of the UFC, you're paid different. So to people that say it's stupid, I say it's the UFC literally throwing a bone. And we always ask them to throw a bone, and they never do. I'm thankful it's an opportunity I get to fight for, especially since there's only one in the world. Well, I don't know about that. I think it's pretty cool. It's a cool-looking belt. I would say in response to this, especially the stuff about the pay-per-view points coming along with the BMF belt, Chad, big if true. Yeah, there's a lot to to sort out from these Justin Gaethje quotes. I guess, given what we know about Justin Gaethje as the person and how he fights, we should not really be surprised that he's just going to come straight at us with yes. uh, some truth telling <laughs> here the fact that everybody gets paid the same for fighting three rounds or fighting five rounds is something that we've talked about before it seems like one of the many 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 screw jobs that a fighter will encounter during his mma career because as dan hardy once told me when i was interviewing him five rounds is almost two fights so yeah. hard to get paid the same amount that you get paid for a three round fight the yeah the, the thing that you brought up about the BMF champion getting pay-per-view points is interesting. I guess I had assumed 
just knowing what we know about how the UFC does business, that they would not offer pay-per-view points for the entirely ornamental BMF belt. But now you have Justin Gaethje here seeming to contradict that, and I guess all I can say is, I hope he's right. I I hope he is too, because, and if he is, if I were the UFC, I would publicize that. Yeah. Uh, Because that will change the way a lot of us look at that. And, you know, why not, especially if you're constantly being hit in the media for how poorly you pay fighters, be like, hey, we created a new way to give somebody pay-per-view points and to reward them for being, you know, not just the guy who wins them all as champion, but guys who are awesome to watch. And I think everybody would be very supportive of that. The fact that they haven't done that is one of the many things that makes me question whether this is in fact true. And I mean, one way or another, I guess just in case he's going to find out if it's true. Um, But I also feel like... The way we saw the last BMF title work was two guys fought for it, one guy won it, and then for promotional purposes on the UFC side, it effectively ceased to exist immediately after that night. Right. Didn't bring it up afterwards. Uh, Nothing they brought up. Like, are you going to tell me that Jorge Masvidal, for every one of his fights afterwards, was making pay-per-view points because he was still nominally the BMF champion? Because that don't seem true. That doesn't seem like anything that I have an easy time believing about the way the UFC does business, especially since they did not make any effort to continue putting that belt up for grabs. Why would you give a guy pay-per-view points if you're not trying to extract any value out of that championship existing? So that doesn't, I don't even know how that would work then. Like, are you just indefinitely the BMF champion? Do you only get pay-per-view points for the the night that you fight for it? And then the only, those only the winner get them. Like I have questions. Yeah, I guess it's hard to know for sure because Jorge Masvidal beat Nate Diaz at UFC 244 for the quote-unquote symbolic BMF title, as Wikipedia calls it, and then immediately went on a four-fight losing streak that culminates with his retirement after UFC 287 when he lost to Gilbert Burns. Uh, His next fight after Diaz was against Kamaru Usman, and so... Usman was the champion there, so we can assume already getting pay-per-view points. I don't know if Jorge Masvidal would have gotten pay-per-view points from that fight, but he also lost to Kamara Usman, which would make Kamara Usman then the lineal BMF champion, but he was already the welterweight champion, so he's already getting pay-per-view points. He beats Colby Covington, and then he loses back-to-back fights to Leon Edwards, which, as we have discussed before, I guess would have made Leon Edwards the BMF champion. But when the BMF champion is already the regular champion, it's hard to know what you get in the pay-per-view points for. And now that we have uh, revived the BMF title like a zombie coming back from the dead and decided that we're going to put it on whoever wins uh, this Justin Gaethje-Dustin Poirier fight at UFC 291 in July. Maybe it's just a whole new ballgame. Maybe the way they sold Justin Gaethje on fighting for this BMF title that he thinks is stupid was to tell him, hey, man, if you win it, then we're going to let you walk around with it and you can get pay-per-view points. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that would be an effective pitch if that were how you needed to get somebody to get on board with it, you know? Like, uh, it just needs to be true at some point. Uh, The other stuff from Justin Gaethje that uh, I thought was interesting was this MMA fighting story uh, that from Damon Martin, where Justin Gaethje is talking about sort of where he's at, 
how much longer he sees himself in this. He says, quote, it's just the matter, the fact of the matter that I would say by 37, I would like to not be doing this anymore. I'm 34 now. Two or three years is a long time. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. I've been doing this for 12 or 13 years. So ultimately, it's the back end of my career in this sport. That's just a train of thought that I had. We're so emotional after these fights that I wouldn't believe anything we say for a week. It was just my thought process after. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm glad that you guys are here to enjoy this with me. I was really talking to the fans in that moment. And, you know, he, he goes on to say, I've been a huge fan of the sport. I followed so many of the athletes and I've seen examples of people fighting too long, people quitting too early, people stopping at just the right moment. I'd like to fall in that just the right moment situation. I would say as soon as I believe I can't be the best in the world with the skills that I possess, I don't see any reason to go in there and risk what we're risking each and every fight. This is an especially interesting comment to come from Justin Gaethje, of all people, who, when he fights, fights as if he has never even thought to consider how he'll feel in the morning, much less years from now, yeah. you know? And that's one of the things people love about him. People love that that, that reckless, aggressive style that he has, um, which what has made him a fan favorite. And to hear him, you know, reflect a little bit and to be pretty honest with himself about where he is, that this is probably the backside of his career, that there's probably not that much time left in it, and that a lot of people do this wrong at the end of their career. And I'm encouraged to hear him, you know, talking about it and having a, a realistic outlook on it. I also, the falling in just the right moment situation that he talks about, that is so incredibly hard to do. Yeah. Like, you can name so many people who stayed too long. You can only a few people, really, who the quitting too early. I don't know if that's a huge concern that MMA fighters really need to worry about. It does not happen that often. Yeah. Stopping at just the right moment. I mean, I can think of so few people where I felt like, okay, even one more would have been a mistake. But this last one was a really good idea. Like George St. Pierre, really. Yeah. Uh and maybe Justin Gaethje, maybe these two comments are related, right? Justin Gaethje, knowing that he he doesn't have that much time left in the sport, might have a lot to do with why he needed to make sure he was going to get paid as much as he wanted to get paid to go fight Dustin Poirier in a five-round fight in his next upcoming fight. I mean, you got to... You got to give Justin Gaethje some credit here, I guess, for not only being an absolute wild man in the cage, but also for uh, being super honest about it and seemingly having the self-awareness to know this about himself, that that maybe he would walk away before he runs off a potentially uh, health-threatening list of losses like that we see a lot of guys do. So I guess, you know, good good for him. Props for Justin Gaethje. Uh I just wanted to return briefly to this part where he says in the other story, the Milan Ordonia story, we are always asking the UFC to throw us a bone and they never do. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> LOL. Good job, Justin Gaethje. I guess we've conclusively proven that Milan Ordonez and uh, Damon Martin were working over the weekend since we have referenced all of their stories on this podcast. There we go. Also, I love these pictures of Dana White holding up the BMF belt with white gloves. Like it's a goddamn priceless artifact in a library special collections room or something. Just like, like it's not going to wind up tossed in a corner in one of the many rental properties that Jorge Masvidal owns. Right? <laughs> the white gloves really is a special touch. You know, yeah. Whoever, who's the marketing genius who came up with that one? All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with uh, round number three.
Well, Ben, we continually talk about these UFC fight nights that roll out week after week after week. This one over on ESPN, Kai Kara France against Amir Albazi, I think fits right in with the trend that we've been seeing recently. And that is we've got a handful of known names on this card, but then it mostly feels like filler. Like we just had to roll it out because we have a date on the card where we need to supply some content for ESPN in one way or another. And so here we are. Your main event, a somewhat important men's flyweight fight, I suppose, between Kai Kara France and Amir Albazi. You got Alex Caceres and Daniel Pineda, Jim Miller and Jared Gordon, Tim Elliott and Victor Altamirano, and Kareen Silva versus Ketlin Souza. That is your main card you know this actually up at the top of this thing to me the most interesting part of it is whether or not it turns out to be a showcase fight for Amir Albazi who is 29 years old nicknamed the prince by the way which is pretty cool comes into this thing uh 16 and 1 overall the only loss a decision to Jose Torres back in Brave CF in April of 2019 he has reeled off Uh, four straight UFC victories, all of them by stoppage except for one where he went to decision uh, in Abu Dhabi at UFC 257. But this is, you know, a guy who's originally from Iraq and now resides in London, but seems to be yet another one of these kind of fast rising guys who could well become a player in this division if he can put a couple of more wins together. And Kai Car France seems like the perfect litmus test slash stepping stone for Amir Albazi at this point. Yeah, this this whole fight card is one that I've come to think of as uh, a species of UFC fight night, which I like to call the was expected, however, class of fight card. Because if you go to the Wikipedia page and you read in the background section, you will see a lot of a middleweight bout between Jack Hermanson and former LFA middleweight champion Brendan Allen was expected to headline the event. However... Hermanson withdrew in late April due to undisclosed injury and the bout was scratched. It continues in this fashion, Chad. Former yeah. Strike Force and UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion Misha Tate was expected to face Myra Buena Silva. However, on May 10th, it was announced that Tate suffered an undisclosed injury. Buena Silva was moved to headline UFC Fight Night Holm versus Buena Silva. Uh, a lightweight bout between Jamie Malarkey and Garam Kudaladze was scheduled for this event. However... <laughs> Just is always the same phrasing every single time, and we are well familiar with this kind of thing. And it also it says something about the the kind of we know the tier of fight night event to put this into because it's the kind where when the main event falls out, you don't go get a new main event. You just say, okay, what what was below that on the card? New main event because you know it doesn't really matter anyway. You don't really have to sell this one. This yeah. is. We're getting guaranteed money for putting these kinds on. We don't have to sell it to try to get pay-per-view buys or anything. It's not that special to us. This is the tier of fight night events known as content. So whoever was still on it, pick one of them and they're the new main event. And we've come to like understand that that is just how some of these fight night events work. Uh, You're right to think that like for Emil Arabazi, I mean, especially because you look at the the odds on this one and it's essentially a pick you know, uh, it's this is the kind where almost any outcome uh, would be 
totally normal and expected. I, I don't think you could really surprise me with anything uh, on this one. And the flyweight division is interesting enough where there's you see enough movement up and down that it would not be at all crazy to think Amir Albazi, if he comes in here, looks really good, uh, and people go, okay, we're excited to have a new face in here. We spent yeah. a lot of time doing the same thing over and over at the top, so we're, we would welcome some new blood in this division. Uh, but it's also one of those weight classes where everybody's pretty fucking good, man. And there's just not a whole lot separating the guys who are sort of middle of the top 10 and the guys who are future title contenders. Yeah. And one of those guys might be Kai Kara France, a guy that at this point is still a little bit, I guess, unknown in terms of where he fits in. He started off his UFC career with three straight wins. Then he went one and two over three fights, and then he rattled off three more consecutive wins. And then he uh, lost to Brandon Moreno at UFC 277 for an interim UFC flyweight title. Uh, One fight of the night for it has picked up, you know, more than his share of performance of the night bonuses. And we know what he brings to the table. So here we got, I guess, a decent measuring stick for both guys. Although I would think uh, stakes might be a little bit higher in terms of public perception for Amir Albazi, because if he goes out there and beats Kaikar France, then suddenly he's a guy that we that we have to consider. He's a guy that we know. Do you have fight odds for this thing in front of you at all? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, right now we're looking at Amir Albazi as minus one hundred five, uh, Kaikar France at minus one fifteen. Oh, so very close. Very, very close, according to the odds. So that will be interesting, I guess, to see how that one plays out. Yeah. Honestly, and this, I think, is a credit to the UFC matchmakers that even when you have some fights from fight night events that feel like, okay, you're just kind of throwing some stuff out there and none of it is super important. It is generally very competitive because... You, you try to look around and see, like, okay, what's the, the biggest underdog on a fight card? Because like, you see a lot of guys where it's, you know, minus 175 plus 145, minus 165 plus 135. You know, it's it, it, when nobody is higher than two to one in any direction, you know, that's odds maker saying, like, oh, we think that either guy could win this one. Like, honestly, kind of the, the biggest underdog that I'm looking at that, that jumps out at me here. Um, well, you have Jamie Malarkey as a plus two sixty underdog against Garam Kudaladze, but that one I don't know if we're, yeah, that fell that, out. That, right? that was a that was a however I believe, right. um, and there's been a replacement opponent there. Um, but all the okay, and here's the odds on the replacement fight where not surprisingly, Muhammadijan Neymov, who comes in as the late replacement, is even higher uh, underdog at plus three ninety. But other than that, it's like the one of the bigger underdogs is somebody like Jim Miller, honestly, who comes yeah. in at plus 200 against Ludovic Klein. I was going to ask you, what's what's going on with Jim Miller and Andre Arlovsky since we talked about them earlier during Listener Mail? You, what's going on with them? You know, odds-wise. I don't expect you to oh. be able to tell me how their lives are going. I know that you haven't been hanging <laughs> out with them. I mean, I follow Jim Miller on the socials. He's he's doing Jim Miller stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's you, you can go ahead and, and bank on that. Just wanted to um, be like, oh, Andre's doing good. He's getting really into flower arrangements, putting those together. So he's got a little hobby going on the side. Actually, he's Jim, Jim Miller was supposed to fight Ludovic Klein. However, Klein pulled out on May 19th, and it's Jared Gordon, who Jim Miller is fighting uh, instead, and uh, looks like... Jim Miller is a much more modest underdog there, plus 155. 
Uh, Jared Gordon, minus 175. Uh, as for Andre Arlovsky, I'm looking at plus 110 against Dontel Mays, minus 135. So, uh, I mean... Don't you think Andre Arlovsky is probably somebody who has burned the book- bookmakers before because they keep looking at him and being like, this old son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> but Andre Arlovsky, man, I mean, especially he's one of the, one of the ways that you can hang around in this sport, especially as a heavyweight, is as you get older, you damn well better get smarter. And we saw Alistair Overeem go that path and really manage a lot of career longevity that way. And you've seen Andre Olowski manage to do the same thing. Like a lot of these fights, they're not exactly the most exciting fights uh, a lot of the time, but, and you know, a lot of split decisions on the record recently, but he had a four fight winning streak going up until he lost to Marcos Rogerio de Lima in October. Like you, some old dogs can, if they're savvy enough about it, hang around for a long time, especially at heavyweight. Yeah. You know, I like the uh, the topology page that shows you when when bouts get canceled. Yeah. Uh, because you look at a guy like Garam Kutaladze, who is actually kind of an interesting dude in the UFC. Uh, he came in and beat Mateusz Gamrot in his uh, com- company debut, in his promotional debut back in 2020. It was a split decision. In fact, both of his UFC fights have been split decisions up to this point. But this is a guy who has fought three times since uh, 2019. But he has had one, two, three, four, five fights scheduled and then canceled. So he's been a guy that has just had a problem getting getting to the cage. I believe he is a training partner of uh, Kamzat Shmaev. And so he is a bit of an interesting dude. The Georgian Viking is his okay, nickname. that's pretty good. And, uh, you know, he seems like he has some potential. He did lose a split decision to Demir Izamugulov. Nailed it. Uh but it seems like a person with some potential. He just can't get to the goddamn cage. Six fights canceled going back to 2018, 2019, when he's only managed to get in three actual fights. If you're going to have one of those nicknames that cause it seems like it could be kind of common, like the Viking or something like that, you got to throw a modifier in there of some kind. Like, you know, the Georgian Viking, something like that. Like, you got to throw an extra something in there to dif- differentiate yourself. That's smart. Yeah, no, that is that is very smart. All right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will uh, we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, this week, I'm just saying, what kind of crazy mixed up sport is this that we follow that MMA fighting is able to uh, run a headline, Labor classic Labor Day weekend headline that says MMA fighting roundtable. What is Dana White's most memorable feud with a UFC champion? So <laughs> the UFC president currently involved in a bit of a spat with Aljamain Sterling, but not one, not one high profile feud with a, one of his own champions enough that we are going to have a round table wherein we try to figure out what the most memorable feud that Dana White has had with a UFC champion. And just to say, this story by Alexander K. Lee over on MMA Fighting, a hot piece of photo illustration that we have done here on this roundtable where we've got Dana White standing at the podium, but then we have gone ahead and we have photoshopped Randy Couture, John Jones, Tito Ortiz, and Demetrius Johnson as if they are sitting at the table next to each other around Dana White. So, Kudos to MMA Fighting for taking the holiday weekend to brush up on their Photoshop skills. 
it does really tell you something that where we want to highlight times that the head of the UFC has intentionally torn down his own <laughs> fighters. And there's enough options to choose from that we don't even have to limit it to feuds with UFC fighters. We can limit it just to UFC champions. Just to the top guys and still there's plenty to choose from. I mean, like, that just... its it tells you a lot without really having to come right out and say it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just saying. We have to write a... We are able to write a roundtable dissecting all of the UFC president's public feuds with his own champions. It's a crazy mixed up world. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, did you happen to see a grappling match in which a promoter of uh, the event taps out a MMA media member? Oh, is this the one with, uh, with Ben Davis? This is the one with Ben the Bane Davis. Okay, I knew that was going to happen. It did go down while I was that, vacationing over the weekend, so I didn't get to see it. But the the promoter of the event, you say? Well, the promoter of the the, the CFFC president, Brad Boulton, um, which I'm reading this story on Bloody Elbow, Eddie Mercado's story, uh, which it identifies Brad Boulton as a BJJ black belt and says he competed against media personality Ben the Bane Davis, a certified white belt. So I'm glad we certified that. Um, And this was at Fury Pro Grappling 7. Now, I'd heard they're going to do this, uh, that it was seemed like kind of a fun challenge via Twitter where Ben Davis said, may I grapple the CEO? (laughs) And turned out the answer was yes. Um, Now... The match, I could send you the link, Chad, does not take very long to watch because I mean, it's over be guess, in, yeah. in 13 seconds. 13 uh, seconds, okay. This this black belt, he goes out there, uh, he j- almost immediately jumps for a flying triangle, doesn't get it, then grabs onto the legs, grabs just the, kind of looks like a, like a straight foot lock, ankle lock kind of move, and that's it. It's over in 13 seconds. And I'm just saying, I think stuff like this is fun and cool and, you know, a good way to get some attention for yourself. But my man, my black belt friend here, 13 seconds, you ain't have to do him like that. (laughs) You know you didn't have to do him like that. 13 seconds, we couldn't give the people a little bit more of a show. I like what you're doing, jumping for flying triangles right off the bat. You know, these people came to see something. Let's give them something to look at. But come on. We can't mix it up a little bit. We can't carry them a little bit longer than yeah. that. We got to go straight fucking foot locks and this stuff in 13 seconds. I'm just saying you didn't yeah. have to do that. Also ankle lock or something. That seems a little over the top for a yeah. bout with a uh, certified white belt MMA media member. Well, and if we're going to do that, like, let's just, you know, uh, let's go, go Plata's ass or something. Let's do something yeah. cool. It's a little highlight real shit. You know, what's this guy's name again? The the CEO? Brad Boulton. He needs BJJ to take Black Belt. maybe a page out of Floyd Mayweather's book, right? Carry Conor McGregor into like the, the eighth or ninth round before you really start mixing it up with him. That's That's how you send the people home feeling like they got their money's worth. Yeah. Also, I'm just saying to Ben the Bane Davis, you got to put the boot on in that situation, my man. You can't let him get the two on one. Unless you got to, you got to shove that that heel down. You got to get the boot on, sit up, see if you can grab his head and stop him from extending it on you. Now you know. Yeah. Now you know. I'm just hard saying. one, hard one lesson for mm-hmm. a celebrity BJJ trainer Ben Folks. You got to put the boot on. 
All right, that's going to do it this week for the co-main event podcast proper. We don't have an after hours this week, but we'll get you back next week. We're going to be over at the Patreon page all week uh, tomorrow. Mr. No Days Off this week because we already had that holiday weekend. We got the uh, the live chat and then Thursday doing the damn thing and then Friday's power hour. It's the last week of Pledge Month, so hop on. Get yourself 10% off for the year if you join. Also, sign up for an annual subscription and we will send you a shirt if you're at the 10 or $20 level. As for right now, though, thanks for listening. We are done. We are through. We are out. So I did also put this on my Instagram, but uh, one of the things that happened while I was on the holiday weekend is that my 16-year-old nephew and his friends were all down in the basement playing the UFC video game. Oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and I went down there and found them playing it, and they were Max Holloway was fighting Conor McGregor on there and i was like oh max holloway needs to get his volume going here needs to get his volume striking attack going here really overwhelm the irish combinations with his forward movement and his pressure and they were basically like take a fucking walk old man pretty much (laughs) we don't want to hear any of this bullshit from you while we're down here gaming was pretty much their response you know what's up like listen against conor mcgregor we're gonna want to stay away from the left hand Mm -hmm. and we're gonna want to get him into the later rounds yeah Yep. Very dangerous in the first five minutes. Yeah, you got to take him to just... the deep water. Because the thing about him is he can't can't stay in the gym. And they were basically. And they're like, looking at you like, go upstairs and get us some more Mountain Dew or shut up. Yeah, senior citizen wandered down here and is spouting off nonsense about the UFC. So, I mean, in fairness, imagine yourself as a teenager playing Madden on Sega Genesis or something, and somebody comes in and is like, oh, you're the Giants, huh? Well, you're going to want to use that 3-4 defense, uh, see if you can free up LT in, to, to come around the end on, on the blitz, and you're just going to be like, fuck off, bro. Yeah. I'm running the, I'm running the pitch. I'm running I'm the fly pattern. The long bomb, old man. <laughs>